0: Welcome, Christian Israel, Pastor Eli James here. Today is April 17th, 2022, and Michael uh, won't be able to join us today, so uh, instead of continuing with our story of Cain, Cain and Sargon the Magnificent, uh, I've decided to uh, take uh, a look at uh, an article by Colonel Jack Moore who is a, a tremendous Christian identity scholar. Uh, he was a non seedliner liner, but uh, he, he made it a point to get along with everybody. He's a Korean War, War veteran and had many experiences there that uh, <laughs> he realized while he was there that the, the U.S. government under Truman was not trying to win the Korean War. And uh, he had some experiences there that, uh, that really... Uh, he was in some dangerous situations. Put it that way. He even got captured by the communists. So, uh, but uh, after he got out, he became a Christian identity preacher. And uh, I met him several times at the Christian Patriots Defense League, which uh, was operational in Illinois, Central Illinois. From about 1978 to 1984, thereabouts, when the whole group was shut down by the so-called Department of Justice, and uh, John Harrell, the founder of that group, was held under house arrest and uh, could not uh, hold those meetings anymore. Those meetings were attended by the Spotlight, by Sheldon Emery, of course, Jack Moore, uh, William Pierce, among others. I mean, it was a how how, do I put it, a uh, who's who (laughs) of patriots, patriots and identians. So it was really great to be a part of that entire scene and uh, listen to all these speakers. Uh, It was a combination of militia with uh, guns everywhere, guns and knives, militia training going on and identity preaching, identity preaching. And so uh, it was really wonderful when I was attending those meetings, I thought the identity movement was going to sweep the world, <laughs> right? But, of course, uh, the uh, the international Jew had other plans. So, but before we get into this, I just want to make a couple of quick announcements. Uh, first of all, I want you to look at the, uh, after this show, or even now you can uh, look at it, the uh, Enoch Solar Calendar post that was posted yesterday. And uh, it was a, it's a video done, uh, w- very well done, by uh, a couple of Bible researchers who have pretty much duplicated the calendar, the Enoch calendar that we use here at Eurofolk Radio. And uh, it's it's based purely on the solar calendar. There's not has nothing to do with the moon. And they go into they basically use the same reasoning that we do that the moon is not part of the biblical calendar and they give the reasons for pretty much the same reasons that we have been using in, uh, in our calendar. And by the way, that calendar is available. Uh, uh the print the calendar by brother Rob and, uh, That's available uh, for a donation of $20 or more. You can send uh, that money to ANP. And that's 900 Commerce Drive, number 1016, Forsyth, Illinois, 62535. And I'll just repeat that address. ANP, 900 Commerce Drive, box number 1016. And that's Forsyth, Illinois, with a Y. Six two five three five, and so uh, that calendar is available. And it's, again, well done. The theme this year is the de- debunking COVID. <laughs> the last couple of years that we've had to endure this COVID nonsense, uh, very well done. Thank you, brother Rob. Okay, so uh, with with that, uh, let me just read the post because uh, when I was uh, doing the research on the solar calendar. And what calendar did the Israelites actually practice uh, in part three? And uh, I'll probably, sh- maybe I'll share this and maybe use it as part of today's um, show. That uh, the, uh, the fact is that the Israelites did not practice uh, the, the feast days while they were out in the wilderness. Moses gave the instructions for the feast days. And for the sacrifices, etc., during the forty years of the wilderness, but uh, they were the Israelites were not capable of performing these because they were wandering through the wilderness. Okay, so uh, so here's what I have to say about this uh, video presentation, which is outstanding, except for the error they make regarding the start time of the calendar. So. It says here, the presentation is very close to the solar calendar practiced by many identians. One one major difference is the claimed starting point. As with the solar calendar of the Dead Sea Scrolls, many interpreters claim that the Hebrew calendar begins with the creation week, Genesis 1.14 to 1.19, which is falsely assumed to consist of literal 24-hour days. On the contrary, those days are eons or ages, not literal days. This is proven by the fact that Genesis 2.4 refers back to the entire creation week as a day. Observe, Genesis 2.4. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that Yahweh God made the earth and the heavens. So the entire creation week is referred to as a day. And of course, we know that the word day is Yom from the Hebrew. And has the same range of meanings that our word "day" as in the day of the dinosaur, or yesterday, or today, etc. And it can be a fortnight. (laughs) It can mean uh, has a wide range of meanings, so you have to look at the context, and you just can't arbitrarily assume uh, one particular meaning over another. You just can't do that. But that's what basically the uh, short earth or the The the, the literal 24 hour day creationists use, that's the the terminology they use, and that's their belief. So these authors use the same reckoning and don't consider the possibility that Yom could be an eon. So let's continue. At the 24-minute mark of the video, the presenter shows how their solar calendar uses Day 4 of Creation Week as the first Sabbath of their calendar on the assumption that Genesis 1 is talking about literal days. Even if this interpretation is true, which it isn't, the Bible clearly tells us that the calendars not begin in Genesis 1. Yahweh tells us at Exodus 13.5, listen carefully, and it shall be when Yahweh shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites... Okay, this is a future, he's talking about this right after they, they began wandering in the wilderness, their first actual settlement, and or, or camp out. Uh, it shall be, when Yahweh shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, Jebusites, which he swear unto thy fathers to give thee a land flowing with milk and honey, that thou shalt keep this service in this month, the month of Abib, okay, which is it means green ears of barley, okay, and that occurs in the spring. It's right around the time of the spring equinox. So this is the month, but it, it says very clearly here, you will not begin to use this service until you enter Canaan land. That happened when Joshua, uh, d- you know, sacked Jer- Jericho. Jericho and I, okay, and this is why I've been doing so many shows on the tablet found at Mount Ebal by Scott Stripling, proving, giving us the exact date, this gives us the exact date, if 1406 is the exact year, which I believe it is, this gives us the exact date in which the Israelites attacked Jericho they crossed the Jordan River and attacked the Canaanite lands okay so this uh, the historical information is par excellence continuing here with the calendar most calendar researchers have overlooked this verse primarily because they follow the jewish lunar-solar calendar, which has no basis in Scripture. There's not one verse in Scripture where, where, you know, if if the lunar-solar calendar is accurate or true, there should be at least one verse in which one of the priests looks up in the sky and and looks for a new moon, the, the, the crescent of the new moon. There is not a single verse suggesting any of that okay, and Genesis one fourteen is mistranslated uh, there's no mention of the moon in there, the moon is suggested by the mistranslation of it so most calendars, again because they follow the Jewish calendar which was made up by the rabbis, you know, after after they, they were expelled from Jerusalem, but uh, the research I've done on the Dead Sea Scrolls proves that the they were using, there were several calendars in use, and one of them was a purely solar calendar, and that's the one that was used by the Essenes of, uh, who, who left Jerusalem because they could see that the Pharisees were taking over the land, uh, thanks to the Romans, okay? Now, therefore, the correct starting point of the Hebrew feast day calendar is the day that the Israelites invaded Canaan under Joshua, beginning with the destruction of Jericho. This date was the first evening after the spring equinox, most probably 1406 B.C. Thus, this day is the first Sabbath. Fourteen days later was the first Passover practiced in accordance with the instructions given in Exodus and Deuteronomy. It has nothing to do with creation week. Although the instructions were given to Israel many times during their 40 years' sojourn in the wilderness, the actual practice was not begun until the invasion of Canaan land when they took the uh, harvest that was left over by the vacated Canaanites and used that for their uh, ceremonies. Bearing these points in mind, please watch the following video, which is otherwise a great argument for the exclusively solar calendar of Enoch and the Hebrew, so uh, I highly advise you uh, to to watch that video. It's really well done and uh, gives a great argument for an exclusively solar calendar, all right? So we're not the only ones (laughs) who have that in mind. Also, I just want to quickly announce that uh, Paul English has started his own uh, radio station. It's called speakfreeradio.com, so please... uh, uh, visit that site. And then uh, Brother Hebert, uh has two websites, thinkoutsidethebeast.com, ageoflaodicea.com, where his calendar is available there as well. And uh, so we have a, you know, a real, we're starting to grow. <laughs> it's, it's a slow process. It's like watching grass grow, right? How the Christian identity movement is growing very, very slowly. So, and then there's an occasional rainstorm and flood and uh, brush fire that we have to deal with, but we've been dealing with those pretty well. So, uh, this is where we're at. And uh, yes, thank you, Yahweh. Yeah, yeah, the uh, one thing I forgot to mention, yeah, just young earth uh, theory of creationism that's out the window. There's no way you can justify that. The old eighth creation, old eighth earth creationism is the correct. Uh, process because yom in fact means eon it does not mean 24 hour day and the verse before that actually proves it because it says the evening and the morning were the first day but if you count the hours from evening to morning that's only 12 hours it's not 24 hours that's an idiom it's an idiomatic expression it's not to be taken literally okay so this is where we're at with the calendar. Again, uh, that that video uh, gives all kinds of evidence using the Book of Enoch, Jubilees, and other, and maybe even Jasher as sources. And, of course, the Bible to show that the Hebrews practice an exclusively solar calendar and n- not a lunisolar calendar. All right. So let's, uh yeah, and, and Nimblehorse says, uh, he puts in Yahweh in the Hebrew script, Paleo-Hebrew script. Which was discovered at the, on the tablet at Mount Ebal, uh, proving that the Israelites were there and they were using the name of Yahweh then and there, and that they were issuing the curses given at uh, number. not sorry, sorry, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 27 and 28. So, very exclusive uh, evidence that the Israelites were there, and it relates perfectly to the Bible. Again, archaeology always proves the Bible to be true, never the opposite. So the, the critics of the Bible are going to eat dirt. <laughs> They're eating dirt as we speak, okay? So let's get to this article by Lieutenant Colonel Jack Moore. The Rapture, Scriptural Fact, or man-made fiction, or he quotes, not giving heed to Jewish fables and the commandments of men that turn from the truth, which is from Titus 1.14. For many years, I preached a doctrine that is popular with millions of present-day Christians. So he was a believer at one time, and he came to see the truth. It went something like this. Now, I was in the school of Swift and Camperay. They never believed in the rapture, and, you know, they gave good arguments uh, before. So I heard all the arguments against it before I ever had a chance to believe it. But, you know, and but I've considered, you know, is there anything there that really is in favor of this concept of the rapture? And uh, no, there isn't. But let's go into uh, Jack Moore's argument here. It went something like this, okay? So he's telling us that he used to believe it and teach it. Quote, the rapture has to do with Christ's coming in two stages. First, he comes silently and secretly as a thief in the night to snatch his bride, the church. Now, of course, he's saying this is how it goes, but it's not the church. It's the 144,000 remnant, Israel. The 12 tribes, as it clearly states in the book of Revelation, chapter 21 and 22. Okay, not the church, because the church is a mistranslation of Ecclesia anyway. And the assembled, the assembled Israelites, a direct reference to Israel, not to any church, because we have churches multifarious, but we have only one covenant people. Off this, it was going to snatch his bride off this earth and take her to heaven. Then a man called the Antichrist will take over and rule this world for seven years. During this rule, now wait a minute, we've been ruled by the Antichrist since the Napoleonic Wars, right? The House of Rothschild, Banking Empire, the Empire of Merchants. Mystery Babylon, spoken of in the last four or five chapters of the book of Revelation. If you don't know who Mystery Babylon is, and the fact is that it is controlled by the Antichrist Jew, then you don't know anything about prophecy, all right? Okay, so, but he's giving the the presentation, as most people believe it, Okay, then a man called the Antichrist will take over and rule this world for seven years. Now, here is an error here as well, because there is no the Antichrist. First and second John tell us very clearly there are many Antichrists, and the Antichrist is already here. He was referring to the Pharisees. So it's amazing how much the Judeo-Christian world has wrong. Do they have anything right? Uh, Very little. Very little. But the only thing they have right as the basics is that Jesus Christ is the, the Messiah, and he came to save Israel. But no, they, they twist that, and so he came to save the entire world. No. The Bible says no such thing. All right? During his rule, there will be a time of great tribulation. Well, I mean, we're in tribulation now. and Nobody's been raptured yet. But at the end of this period, Jesus Christ will return with his saints to destroy the Antichrist and set up his kingdom. Okay, so this is what uh, Colonel Moore has been teaching, and uh, you know he believed it. Literally tens of thousands of sermons have been preached using this format, and based on four New Testament verses. These sermons state that the next advent of Jesus Christ will be silent, as a thief. In the night, for 18 years, I preached this doctrine with all the fervor I could muster. But one day, as I studied the 24th chapter of Matthew's gospel, I began to think for myself (laughs) for the first time. Hey, you know, uh, have you begun to think for yourself yet? As the Holy Spirit led me into the truth. So what I want to do in this article is discuss with you the possibility that the rapture of the church, not, uh, okay, false, false word there, it's not a church, it's the house of Israel, the covenant people, not the church. Instead of being, the word church comes from kirk, which is a pagan word, And the uh, true definition of the the group being identified here is Ecclesia, which is the assembly of Israelites. So that the rapture of the church, instead of being scriptural fact, is man-made fiction. In fact, that it is one of those Jewish fables Paul warned us against in Titus 1.14 when he said, Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Now we have, of course, the Pharisees who were trying to entrap Yahshua Messiah at every possible opportunity and confronting him with their own commandments, the commandments of men. Okay? That, that was what was going on when Yahshua Messiah confronted these Pharisees and Sadducees and others. And, of course, the Israelites, many of the Israelites siding with the Pharisees and Sadducees against Messiah. And that was proven when Peter addressed them at Pentecost, which is the next feast coming up in midsummer. Pentecost, when Peter said that you you, Israel, you Israelites, have participated in the execution of Christ. And it says they were cut to the heart. Because why? Because the Pharisees had tricked them into participating in his execution, folks. How many Christians today will participate or would participate in a second execution because they believe Jewish fables? Wow, I shudder to think. Let's continue. Now I realize that some of you who read these words are going to be deeply disturbed by them. Right? If you believe in, in, in the whole, I mean, sorry, rapture, <laughs> the, the holo rapture, some of you will not be honest enough to read them and check them out against the Word of God. I realize that the rapture doctrine is a wonderful thing to believe in. Yeah, all kind, yeah, sweet, sweet, ear tickling lies. It gives you a warm feeling to believe that you will be rescued from a time of great trouble. Da da, da 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 here comes the cavalry. And it is a powerful tool in the hands of a preacher or evangelist to persuade men to accept Christ while there is still time. But there are other doctrines which the rapturists believe that are false, which are pleasant too. One is that eventually everyone will be saved. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> Not even all Israelites will be saved because there are too many Israelites who don't obey his laws. And the, the true, the true message is Matthew chapter twenty-five. Maybe we'll have time to add that to today's show because it's very clear in Matthew chapter twenty-five that Yahshua says, "You better be kind to your brethren, honest, sincere, true, etc." And uh, uh, be a be motivated by brotherly love, if that's not your motivation, you're not getting into the kingdom. All right? Okay, one is eventually everyone, even the devil? Even the Edomites? I don't think so. I'd like to believe that too, but it's poison out of the pits of hell. So just because a doctrine is popular and pleasant to the ears does not make it true. No truer words were ever spoken. Now I do not expect you to believe what I say. In fact, I'm not at all concerned about whether you do. All I ask you to do is to be honest enough to look with me at what the Word of God says about the rapture, the so-called rapture, and then honestly decide for yourself without any advice from your pastor or The the vast majority of Judeo-Christian preachers can't possibly be considered pastors because they teach lies all the day long, or any pressure on his part. If you are honest, there is only one conclusion you can reach. Two different teachings concerning the rapture cannot both be true. I am indebted to much of this research and this article to Dr. William Strittmeier, president of Kingdom Bible Studies in Lakemore, Ohio. I also realize that some of your pastors are going to view this article with a great deal of unchristian sarcasm. This doesn't bother me in the least. Again, all I ask is that you take what I say, put it under the magnifying glass of God's word, and then as an intelligent, honest person, make up your own mind. sorry, Sorry, Colonel Moore, that's asking too much of people the four scripture verses I mentioned earlier as being the foundation of the rapture theory, and I use this term for want of a better one, okay? Theory, speculation. Well, 1 Thessalonians 5.2, quote, You yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. Second Peter 3.10 But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Revelation 3.3, I will come on thee as a thief. And Revelation 16.15, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Okay, well, this tells us that we should be watching. (laughs) We should be watching for the judgment day. And those who assume they will be raptured have been lulled to sleep and are not watching because they simply assume that, well, hey, you know, I'm a believer, I believe in the rapture, therefore I will be raptured. That's pretty much the logic that they use, okay? And Swamp Fox just put in uh, a rapture plot Dave McPherson prior about the uh, doctrine that existed uh in 1830. So there was no such thing as rapture theory or teaching from the pulpit until around 1830. And that was, yeah, Amy McPherson, I think was her name. She was the one, but she's been misquoted. In her doctrine, she says very clearly that uh, everyone is going to have to go through the tribulation before they get raptured. Okay, so let's continue. First, uh, so let's examine these verses carefully as intelligent people, not, not uh, emotional Christians, and see w- emotional, gullible Christians uh, carefully as intelligent people and see what they really say. 1 Thessalonians five two says that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. It does not intimate that the Lord will return... Uh, I think maybe he, there's a word missing here, so That when the Lord will return. I think that word is missing. The next verse goes on to say, for when, now there's the word when in the next verse, when they shall say, peace and safety, then shall sudden destruction come upon them as a travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Okay, just as the flood of Noah, only eight souls escaped. The rest of them were left behind. Think about that. Is the silent return of Jesus Christ the subject of this verse? Of course not. The subject of this verse is sudden destruction. Verse 4 is, well, we're experiencing that destruction now. Most people don't realize how suddenly it came upon us in the year 2020. Verse 4 is seldom ever quoted by the rapture preachers. It says, But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Okay? Are the rapture believers still in darkness? I surely think so. What does Paul have reference to? Did he say that Christ would come back silently and secretly to steal Christians away from the earth? Of course not. Read the verse again. He said that the day of the Lord would come in silence. Yeah, it's here already, but most people don't get it. 1 Thessalonians 5.2 is not about the Lord at all, but it has to do with the day of the Lord. It is not about secret removal of the church or the covenant people from this earth, but about sudden destruction. It clearly states that the day of the Lord does not come on Christians, but on unbelievers. Well, it comes out on Israelites as well, because unless you believe the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, and uh, you teach lies as a result, or are in total confusion, then it's not likely that you will be given entry into the kingdom. And even there, the New Jerusalem only admits the 144,000 of Israel. That's all it admits. Whether other people get into the kingdom, as opposed to the New Jerusalem, which was as the government, the seat of the government, is a, a debate that uh, you know we can still go into. But the only people guaranteed to get into the kingdom are the 144,000 of the twelve tribes of Israel. No one else is guaranteed admittance. The word "day" in verse two has reference to unsaved people. Of course, this is Jack Moore's opinion. What does "saved" mean? Okay, uh, so many people assume they are saved because they simply they believe in Jesus. That's what they mean by saved. Now look at Second Peter three ten. Most rapture preachers only quote part of this verse. The part which you, what else is true about you? <laughs> That's true of all Judeo-Christian teaching. They snatch verses out of context, reassemble them in a new context, and then claim that this is what the Bible teaches. No. The context of the Bible is the covenant people and the two seed lines, the covenant people and our enemies. That's what the Bible is about. So let's continue. I lost my place. So here, we, <laughs> okay. Now look at Second uh, Peter 3.10. Most rapture preachers only quote part of this verse, which says, quote, but the day of Yahweh will come us as as a thief in the night. But even this part of the verse should show you that it is about the day of the Lord, not the Lord's return. Now, the day of the Lord being the judgment day. The judgment day. Now, those two are two different events. I agree with Colonel Moore that these are two separate events, but they will happen in close proximity to one another. And... As Yahshua said, that uh, many of you have preached in my name, even healed people in my name, but you are, you don't teach the right doctrine. And when the day comes, I will say, I don't know you. And he will slam the door in their faces. The rest of this verse says, quote, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. All right, judgment by fire. Judgment by fire. Now we've had all kinds of storms and floods and etc. But a lot of these storms are actually caused by harp, h a a r p, which uh, burns literally burns holes in our atmosphere. In order to redirect storms in a particular direction and to create storms and to create earthquakes. Okay, so what are the residual effects of all of this tampering with our planet? What are those residual effects going to be? More earthquakes, more lightning. It's t- but and then the astronomers are telling us that the sun is heating up and they're expecting a solar flare to come in our direction real soon. Elon Musk's. 5G network of satellites, half part of that uh, network of satellites was knocked out by a solar flare recently, so all of these things that we're expecting to happen are happening. It's just a big day. hasn't come yet. Will this event be silent and secret so that no one will know about it until it is over? (laughs) No, I don't think so. You're likely to be burned up before you know it's over. That's not what it says. It says, quote, But as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, otherwise making merry, until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then Noah shall be two in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. Okay, so Noah survived and everybody else was destroyed. Okay, but they were left. <laughs> Noah and his, the eight souls with him all together, they were left. They were the ones left behind to carry on. That's not going to be the case with uh, those who believe in the rapture, because the, these verses say ex- the exact opposite of what they believe, all right? They believe that they will be raptured off the planet, and everybody else will be destroyed. No, they were destroyed by death, and that's what's going to happen to the people, on. they're going to be destroyed by death, and the survivors, those of us who are left behind, will carry on. Let's continue. With a little observation, you can see that these verses refer to the time just before Christ returns and what will happen when he does return. Thousands of sermons have these verses saying, quote, Christian believers shall be taken from this earth in the rapture and the unbelievers will be left on this earth to go through the tribulation, unquote. Let's see for ourselves what they say. Now, whether this teaching is wicked or not, or whether it is just plain unbelief, is not the purpose of this study. The people of Noah's time did not believe him and went about their business doing their own thing, until something drastic happened to them. Verse 39 says the flood took them all away. Notice it was not the righteous people. Noah and his family who were taken, but the whip, wicked people, the careless, who would not listen to Noah's warning. So, so you you can be having a conversation with your neighbor across the back fence, and one will be taken away by death, not raptured, taken away by death. So you'll be the lucky one if you survive this. Now whether this teaching, uh, sorry, let me uh, continue here. Now, notice that verse 39 continues to say, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Notice verse 4-4. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. But notice carefully that those who are, that, that are those carefully who those are that will be taken. Does it say or even hint that believers will be taken to heaven while the wicked are left behind to control the earth? Of course it doesn't. It clearly states that as it was in the days of Noah, the wicked would be taken away while the righteous will be saved. Let me repeat this because this is the correct reading. It clearly states that as it was in the days of Noah, the wicked would be taken away, while the righteous will be saved, not raptured into the sky, but remain on earth to carry on. But let's look for a bit more proof. Look at Matthew 13, the parable of the wheat and the tares, and the fish and the net. To get the right answers, you will need to read Matthew 13:24 to 43 very carefully. In the parable of the wheat and the tares, it is the tares which represent the wicked that are gathered first. Okay? So we, the remnant, will be witnesses to the gathering of the ta- of the tares and their destruction. Now, all of those who are following Judeo-Christianity and following the Antichrist Jews and believe that Israel is the, the land of the chosen people. If you believe any of that stuff, I'm sorry, you're going to be swept up with the tears because you believe their lies. You believe as they do. All right? Yeah, awake, <laughs> taken away. Those who are awake will survive and those who obey his laws will survive not mere believers what a travesty of scriptural interpretation that the believers what are what do they believe in they don't believe in anything the bible says they they believe these false doctrines which tickle their ears and make them feel good and oh uh, there's an arrogance about the rapture believers a real arrogance That, oh, because I believe in the rapture, therefore I will be raptured, and I won't have to deal with the tribulation. That is their attitude. Is there brotherly love in that? (laughs) I don't think so. What do they care about whether you perish or not? Is this not uh, merely a continuation of the gospel of personal salvation? Oh by the way, Joel Osteen who's one of the biggest preachers of the gospel of personal salvation and the gospel of prosperity, I mean myself, just got divorced from his trophy wife. We knew that wasn't going to last very long. But yet the Judeo Christians who follow him will say, "Okay, yeah, divorce is okay." Divorce is okay. So and he and Joel Osteen will carry on just as all the Judeo uh pastors on television who distort the gospel at uh, at will and never teach a true word about the scriptures and, of course, are redirecting uh, all Judeo-Christians to believe that the Jews are God's chosen people. Uh, sorry, that's not going to get you into the kingdom if you believe that. You're going to have to understand who the chosen people really are and the covenant message of the Bible and two seed line message. There's nothing else that is true. Any other version of Scripture is false. Okay, let's continue. So, in verse 30, he says, Let them grow together, that is, the wheat and the tares, until the harvest. And in the time of harvest will I say to the reapers, who are the angels that come with him, notice carefully now, Gather ye first together the tares, and bind them into bundles, and burn them. But gather the wheat, the remnant, into my barn, which means the kingdom. Emphasis added by Colonel Jack Moore. Okay, so it's very clear that the tares will be gathered first, bundled, and burned that's how it's going to happen. So all of these rapturists who think they're going to uh, escape, well, they better be, be around to watch the tares burn. They better be around to watch that. Otherwise, there's no chance of them getting saved. When Jesus explained this parable in verse 38, he stated that the good seed are the children of the kingdom. Okay? The covenant people. In other words, believers, no, no, and this and Jack Moore was a universalist in this sense. No, we're talking about Israel, the house of Judah and the house of Israel, just as prophesied in Jeremiah 31. We are the ones who are the chosen people, and we are the ones who are uh, the remnant, the faith, the most faithful, law-abiding remnant will run the kingdom, the new from the New Jerusalem after the Judgment Day. Okay, this is clearly what the Bible says. Quote, he says, believers, quote unquote. In this same verse, he clearly states that the field represents this present world and that the children of the wicked one, Satan, the one responsible for these is their father, Satan. Okay, and a lot of these Judeo-Christians don't realize they're following the doctrines of Satan. And therefore, what does Paul say? Whoever you give yourself over to, that is the one who rules over you. If you believe all these lies, Judeo-Christian lies, you're being rolled over by them, period. And Jack Moore says, could this possibly be tied with the Christ's remark in John eight forty four, where he said that they are the children of the devil, <laughs> right? So they believe the lies of the children of the devil, the Pharisees, the Edomite Jews and even pray for them. Uh, We're we told in Scripture not to pray for evil people, especially those who are already condemned, as the Edomites are. And now, so these Judeo-Christians, in their goody-two-shoes, warm and fuzzy version of Christianity, churchianity, they hold themselves up as being admirable because of their good intentions towards the devil. Jesus then goes on to explain in verse 39 that the harvest represents the end of this age. Okay, so the last thing that happens is the harvest and the wedding feast of the Lamb, to which only true Israel is invited. Because we, the twelve tribes, the remnant of the twelve tribes, are the bride, period. So we see an interesting word picture painted by our Lord. On this earth, the field, we have two crops growing side by side. Actually, the uh, tares have infiltrated the field of wheat as weeds. That's what they are. They are weeds, Jewish weeds, among the wheat, which is us, the 12 tribes of Israel. And of course, all this action is taking place right here in America. The real return of the 12 tribes, all 12 tribes founded this country. and. And all 12 tribes exist in abundance here in America and not so much on the rest of the world, okay? So America is the regathering of the 12 tribes. Absolutely no doubt about it. This does not exclude the Israelites of other nations, but uh, you know this is why there's so much focus on America in these last days because we are the regathering. We are the regathering, the biggest regathering of the 12 tribes in any one place on the earth, okay? So, uh, when we anticipate the invasion of Gog and Magog from the north, we're talking about the Chinese, I don't think it's going to be the Russians, the Chinese and the UN invading America from Canada. That's how we see that. Not because uh, Gog and Magog are in fact the Ashkenazi Jews. So again, here the Judeo Christians have got it all backwards, which is the intent of Satan, which is the intent of the Pharisees, that you get this all wrong and therefore support the Antichrist instead of the Christ, okay? So let's continue. Now this is a, a word picture in which the tares are bundled and gathered first and it says, we have two crops growing side by side until the time of the harvest and more correctly stated that the, the, the weeds have infiltrated the wheat. That is the clearest way of putting it. Now, So they are wheat represented of saved people or Christian Israelites and tares which represent those who have given their allegiance to Satan and therefore unsaved. Yeah, very good. Now notice closely who are gathered first. (laughs) Does it say that the Christians will be gathered first and taken up into the sky to avoid the tribulation? No, we're going to be right here on the earth watching it happen. I think that's pretty exciting, right? Don't you? (laughs) Yes, flesh age. Very good, Swamp Fox. Very good. Yeah, and this is, uh, yeah, and and when we, our bodies, according to Paul, will be changed in form or in vibration, however you want to put it, where we will take on immortality. Okay, just as was intended for Adam and Eve before they fell. We don't know how many years they possessed this potential immortality, but it was based on their accepting Yahweh's word and not uh, mingling with the... uh, With the devil people who were there, Nakash was one of those devil people. And so we're not to have anything to do with them. But here we see that these tares, the international Jew devil people, have infiltrated our nations. They constantly follow us around, eating our dust, Genesis 3, 14 and 15, and are the seed line spoken of in verse 15. There's no doubt about it. So, let's continue. In verse, uh, okay. (laughs) And he says, It very clearly states that the tares, the wicked ones, will be gathered first and will be burned in the fire. Who are you going to believe? The Judeo-pastors? And their Jewish uh, masters? The masters of the pastors? The Word of God? or your pastor who has taken the word and twisted it out of shape. Someday you will have to answer before God for what you do with his word. Whoa. But no, I don't have anybody to answer to. I believe what I believe, and I'm not going to change. He will not accept the excuse, quote, but my pastor told me it was this way, unquote. In verse 41, we see that the unbelievers, and here, of course, I would always clarify that the Israelite unbelievers are, are part of this group. The wicked, the Antichrist, and the children of the devil will be removed from this world by death, while the children of the kingdom on this earth, represented by his barn, will remain Okay? A lot of typos and omitted words in this article. Notice closely once more, this kingdom is on this earth, okay? (laughs) Are you still inclined to believe that you will take it up into the clouds and avoid the tribulation? Isn't this what Christ told us to pray for in Matthew 6.10 when he said we should pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven Emphasis added in caps. Now, before we continue, read Matthew thirteen forty-seven to 52, the parable of the fish in the net. It teaches very clearly that at the end of the age, the angels will come forth and sever the wicked from among the just. Oh, man, I can't wait for that day. The word among means living with, or in our midst, Sever means to separate or to part by violence. It comes from the Greek word aphorizo, which has the same meaning. Now be honest with me and with yourself. Does it say anything here about the church being raptured out of this world while the wicked remain behind? Someone has got the got the cart in front of the horse in their teaching. Now, I would like to invite your attention to probably one of the most used or possibly misused, would be a better term, of the rapture scriptures found in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Quote, Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together. Now, remember, what's the first phrase here? We which are alive and remain. What does that suggest? It suggests there was a parting of company between the remnant and the evil people. They will be taken away by death. We'll be caught up together. So it's clearly after the tribulation, after the judgment. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with Yahweh. Now the air can be figurative or it can be literal. But clearly, this is after the judgment day. You say, See, that proves it. That same verse alone proves it's the rapture of the church. But does it really? Let's examine this portion of God's word very carefully and see what it really says. We need to go back to verse 13 where Paul said, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, dead, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Which have no hope. In what? That God will save them from tribulation in this earth through a rapture? Does it say that? It is speaking here about the hope of the resurrection. It has absolutely nothing to do with a rapture, right? Our hope is that we will be part of the resurrection. Those of us who remain on this earth will ultimately be resurrected and transformed in the kingdom. As the bride of Christ. You should be able to see if you have normal intelligence. Now wait a minute. <laughs> That's that was expecting too much of us. That the first half of verse 14 speaks about Jesus Christ being resurrected from the dead. The second part begins with these words, even so or could we say, likewise, them which also sleep are dead in Jesus will God bring with him. That is those Israelites, those faithful Israelites who have died and are awaiting the resurrection of all of us and the wedding feast of the Lamb. They're, all, they're in the spirit world alive, whether they are watching what's going on or not, we don't know. But uh, there, there was a time when, when uh, Yahshua was resurrected that the, the the dead Israelites came out of their graves and spoke to the living Israelites that the Messiah had come and had been resurrected. Okay, that's how many of our Israelite brethren found out about it. This clearly states that God will resurrect the righteous dead at this time. In the same manner in which he brought Jesus out of the grave, can you find the word heaven anywhere in this verse? It isn't there. The word are asleep, which is found in the end of verse 15, clearly has reference to all those who have died in the Lord and who have been sleeping in the grave, unquote. Verse 16 says that Jesus will come with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and I believe this is going to be at the Feast of Trumpets in the very last year of this age, with the voice of an archangel. That's why we practice the feast days, to remind us that this trump will come at the Feast of Trumpets with the trumpet of God. This certainly does not sound like a silent secret coming to me. Now, once again, do you find the word heaven anywhere in this verse? Well, those people who believe in the rapture, their minds are already in heaven prematurely. This verse clearly states, quote, Then we which are alive... In other words, after the dead in Christ are raised, and those who have witnessed the tribulation and not been reaped like the tares and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet with the Lord in the air, and we shall ever be with Yahweh. Okay, so it clearly is stating that those of us who remain on this earth after the harvest of the wicked, then and only then will we go into the clouds, however you want to interpret that verse. Okay, so here again, the rapturists have got the cart before the horse and are anticipating that they will be raptured up into the sky before the tribulation. No, no. We haven't seen anybody raptured yet, and we are definitely in the tribulation, folks. There's no doubt about it. Can it get any worse with our DNA being assaulted by Bill Gates and company, with wars and rumors of wars? And more to come. More to come. Uh, This conflict in Russia and Ukraine is going to spread around the whole world, and it's going to be a... uh Many faceted war with starvation and uh, uh, economic collapse, the continued assault upon our DNA by the Rockefellers, Rothschilds, and the Gates crowd, Dr. Fauci, etc., etc. They are assaulting us constantly. So if you don't believe in the covenant message, you are more than likely to succumb. This is the tribulation, folks, and it's only going to get worse until the final day, which is just around the corner. No one knows exact day and hour, but if you can see the handwriting on the wall, we're in it. So referring back to the verse 16, it says Jesus will come with a shout. This verse clearly states, Then we which are alive, still here, not yet raptured, and remain, still here, not yet raptured, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet with Yahweh in the air, and we shall ever, forevermore, be with Yahweh. Amen. Amen and amen. Does it say we will then go with him to heaven? I can't find that anywhere, but let me explain. When a king comes to a city, the representatives of that city go out to meet him. Then they accompany him into the city. When Queen Elizabeth visited America a few years ago, man, how long ago was that? The president met her at the airport and escorted her into the city so she could meet our people. He didn't go to the airport, get on the plane, and fly back to England with her, now did he? No, no. the second coming will be right after the judgment. When you go to the local airport to meet relatives, do you get on the plane and go back home with them? You accompany them to your home. This is exactly what we will do when Yahshua returns. We will not go back with him to heaven. It doesn't even hint of this verse in 17. But quite clearly, we will meet him in the air and then accompany him back to earth where there will be a glorious coronation ceremony and he will rule on this earth not in heaven but on this earth he will rule the universe from this earth as king of kings and lord of lords verse 18 quote wherefore comfort ye one another with these words i hope these words are a comfort to you it's it's good to know what's really going to happen and how and how it's taking place before our very eyes right now so, <laughs> yeah, and uh, the Israelites on this planet uh, better better stop eating pork. Uh, they better stop, uh, you know, doing evil things. They better they better start obeying Yahweh's law to the T, because uh, James says uh, if you offend in one, you offend in all. Y- you have to take the, Yahweh's laws literally and very carefully. There's all kinds of physical pleasure you can have on this earth with the food, the tremendous variety of experiences you're given. Uh, you can go to a theme park and take a roller coaster ride. You can go swimming in the ocean. Uh, hopefully there's no sharks in there. And there's all kinds of wonderful things that you can have on this earth without getting involved in all the evil doings of drugs, alcohol, etc., cetera, et cetera. Okay, but nevertheless, so many Israelites have fallen for these temptations. You have to be able to to resist these temptations. So, uh, Nimble Horse quotes, Lord, teach us to pray. This is Luke 11 to 5. Just as John taught his disciples, so Jesus told them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, right? You have to be a forgiving person. If you are not a forgiving person and are prone to condemn people who disagree with you, ooh, ooh. And, le- and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose one of you goes to his friend at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Berean study Bible. Okay, Yes. Brother Aber says, the war against us is a quantum realm nano-assault. Are any Judeo-Christians thinking that deeply about this? Hardly. Hardly. As I said earlier, they're part of the crowd that would definitely crucify Christ would he come again, when he comes again. But they're not going to have that opportunity because they will be destroyed along with the terrors. At the judgment day. Okay. So let's continue. So what we find in an honest study is that first Thessalonians four thirteen through eighteen is not about a rapture, but about the real hope of Christians, the resurrection from the dead, as Jesus died and rose again, in the same manner we will be brought back to life when Jesus comes, not silently, <laughs> but with a shout. And with the trumpet sound, and, I th- and a lot of people have uh, done stories on the internet about earthquakes sounding like trumpets or trumpet sounds being accompanied by earthquakes. And I think that's the way it's going to work. we are going to hear these earthquake sounds all over the planet, these trumpet sounds accompanying earthquakes, which is a kind of a normal thing. Okay, so let's continue. Just as, oh wait a minute, now let's go into another rapture scripture found in the 14th verse in the little epistle of Jude, quote, "Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to do what? Rapture them? Read on, to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds. That's what the saints are coming back for. Jude was quoting here from a prophecy of Enoch, which we can read about in Deuteronomy 33.2. Moses wrote, The Lord came from Sinai and rose up from Seir unto them. He shined forth from Mount Perin. He came with ten thousands of saints. Have you ever heard your rapture preacher or evangelist explain how the Lord came to Mount Sinai with ten thousands of, of his saints? I never did. In fact, most of them will tell you there were no Believers in heaven at this time. Then, how can you explain God coming to Sinai 1490 years before the time of Christ? You see, my Christian friend, the big danger coming from the teaching of this false doctrine is that it takes Christians out of the battle against the wicked. They want to hide comfortably in their spiritual foxholes, waiting for Christ to come back and rescue them before things get too hot. Boy, it's hot already, folks. Instead of doing the work of Christ told him to do, instead of being the salt of the earth, which should be holding back corruption, they often become part of this corruption. Oh, well said, Colonel Moore. Many years ago, a very wise man named Edmund Burke said, All that is necessary for evil to succeed is for good men to do nothing unquote. This has been the sad story of millions of neutralized Christians who have believed that the rapture was all important. A few years ago, I ran into, this, ran into this in Kansas City. It was one of the most shocking examples I have ever seen. After speaking in a large church, a woman approached me and said, quote, I agreed with everything you said, but it doesn't apply to me. You see, I don't belong to this world (laughs) oh no (laughs) oh my god i don't belong to this world i've been born again and this means that jesus will rapture me out of this mess before the communists take over well at least she realizes the communists are here when i asked her to show me this promise in the bible she got mad because it isn't there. You see, that old sister was so tightly wrapped up in her shroud of self righteousness, it is doubtful that even the power of Almighty God will get her unzipped in time to go with him and a cocoon, uh, zipped out of her cocoon, uh, with him when he does return. She was completely neutralized, and instead of occupying until he comes, she was hiding in her air conditioned foxhole folding her body hands and praying for Jesus to take her out of all this muck and filth that we call the world. No wonder we can't make very much headway against sin when Christians feel like this. Yeah, the rapture theory is a delusion. In verse 45, we read further, "...who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season?" Blessed is that servant whom his Lord shall find so doing, right? This is action, not mere belief, occupying until he comes, right? Obeying his laws, doing the best to keep our families together, uh, fellowshipping with one another, practicing brotherly love, etc. The Lord comes as a thief, so if he, find, he, he will come when you least expect it. <laughs> so he better be doing the right thing when he comes with punishment and destruction for the servant who is not watching, while the obedient and faithful servant who is found doing his Lord's will, verse 47, is made ruler over all his goods. Note, this is important. When you study your Bible, always see what it says and what it does not say. Now with reference to the place of rulership, come with me to Revelation 5.10, quote, And hast made us the remnant of Israel, unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on earth, unquote. Then note specifically Revelation 3.21 as to who will reign with Christ. Not all Christians will reach this exalted position. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my house, even as I also overcame and am sat down with my father in his throne, unquote. Then notice again, Revelation 2.26, And he that overcometh and keepeth my works, deeds of brotherly love, unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. Who else could be entrusted with such power? So you see, there are some requirements if you want to rule and reign, (laughs) not mere belief, with Christ. It does not come automatically, period. But let's go back to Matthew 24, 45. Nothing is said in this verse about the faithful servant being taken off to heaven. The promise is that he will be made ruler over this, over his master's goods on this earth. Now look at verse 48. But if the evil... Or the unfaithful servant shall say in his heart, My Lord, delayeth his coming and begin to smite his fellow servants, and you participate in the works of mystery Babylon, and eat and drink with the drunken, the deluded. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day that he is not looking for him, and in an hour that he is not aware shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. The Pharisees, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, unquote. What in the world does this teach? Colonel Moore asks, well, first let me ask you a question. Is the term thief used in relation to the day of the Lord or in relation to Jesus himself? Is it used to describe a time when the righteous will be taken off to heaven While the wicked control the earth? Or does it tell of the punishment and destruction of the wicked? It becomes quite obvious when you study this verse. What it has reference is to the day of the Lord, the judgment day. If you want to find out what the thief does or what a thief does, turn to John 10.10, 10, where we are told that a thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jeremiah 49.9 tells us that a thief comes to destroy and that this coming is silent. Oh boy, oh boy, you better be a righteous Israelite when this time comes. Have you ever heard of a thief who blows a whistle before he he breaks into your house? Jesus gives an answer to his disciples as to, and don't bother to call 911, they're sitting uh, there drinking coffee and eating donuts, to, as to when the day of the Lord will come in Matthew 24, verses 37 through 41. He says it will take place with great noise. Nowhere in this verse does it say anything about a secret removal of the church or believers or even righteous Israelites from this earth what comes as a thief in the night, not the Lord, but the day of the Lord. Now return to Revelation 3.3. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come upon thee like a thief and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. All right, he will be your judge. And it's not gonna be nice. Nowhere does this verse promise deliverance from tribulation. It is a clear warning to Christian Israel and shows that Christ will come as a thief, not to those who watch, but to those who are not watching. Now, once again, turn to Revelation sixteen fifteen. This verse takes place in the name of the Battle of Armageddon. It says, Behold, I come as a thief, Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest, and the garments mean you're clothed with all his commandments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Your record of violation of his laws. Nowhere in this verse does Jesus say, I come as a thief to take Christians away from this earth. It is a plain warning to those who do not watch will lose something, And this will make them ashamed. This is the coming of the judgment day, folks. The the wicked will be harvested first while we are here observing this rapture of the wicked. They will be raptured by death and they will be cast into outer darkness, never to be seen or heard from again. Let's continue. Now I'd like to take you to Matthew. Uh, okay, uh, the chapter that changed my mind about the rapture theory, Matthew chapter 24. First, I want you to realize that this chapter was spoken to Christian. no, it was spoken to Israelites. It was not given to the Jews, but to Christ's disciples who were Israelites, primarily of the house of Judah. It may be beside the point, but with the exception of the traitor Judas Iscariot, All these men were Benjaminites from Galilee and were not Jews. They were not Judites either. (laughs) They were Israelites, thank you very much, but not Jews. It is unfortunate, but most of our pastors are very careless in using these terms interchangeably. This is nothing but intellectual dishonesty of the worst sort. In verse 3, we find that Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives with his disciples, who are Christians, even though they were not known by this name until years later at Antioch. See Acts 11.26. This verse says that his disciples asked him privately, Tell us, when shall these things be broken up? Or when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? This should have been more properly translated the age, since it comes from the Greek word aeon, which means age. Now I want you to look specifically at verse 42. It states, quote, Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come, but know this, if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched, and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, because of this, be ye also ready, for in such an hour... Ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. What? To, to rapture the, the believers? No, to judge the wicked. Notice carefully that this verse does not promise deliverance, but it is a warning of possible destruction. Compare with 1 Thessalonians 5, 2-4, 2 Peter three ten, Revelation 3, 3, and sixteen fifteen. There has probably been no one who has done more to neutralize Christians Uh, then Bible scholar named Schofield. He was the one who put the footnotes in the King James Version of the Bible, which is known as the Schofield edition. Why, I know some Christians who almost believe that Schofield's footnotes have the same authority (laughs) as the Holy Writ. He discourages Christians from working for righteousness in their community, state, and nation because they are told that when the saints leave this world, The devil is going to take over anyway. Josephus, the great Judahite historian, states that when the Romans attacked Jerusalem in 70 AD, not one Christian lost their life in the siege. Quote, well, sorry, they believed that Christ's account as given in Matthew 24 was meant for them, not the Jews, and they fled for their lives just as Jesus had warned them to do. More than a million Jews who did not believe were killed in that siege. Many missionaries who are working in China prior to the communist takeover will tell you that those who had been taught the rapture doctrine were the ones who stayed behind and were killed by the communists. Let me read this again. Many missionaries who were working in China prior to the communist takeover will tell you that those who had been taught the rapture doctrine were the ones who stayed behind and were killed by the communists. Those who had studied their Bibles fled and are the nucleus of the Christian church there now. What will happen to you when Christ returns? Will he find you occupying? You know you can't do that if you are hiding in a foxhole waiting his return. Occupation is military activity. Whoa, that's interesting. Occupation is a military activity. Second Amendment, anyone? Keep your powder dry, keep your trigger finger warm. When Jude told us to contend for the faith in Jude 3, he was giving us the picture of two men fighting to the death. He used the word from which our English word epiagonize, from which our English word agonize <laughs> developed, it is used only once, once more in the New Testament and appears in Hebrews twelve four, where it says, quote, Ye have not yet resisted, epiogenized, unto blood, striving against sin. Well, many of us have. In modern-day language, he was saying, Christian, you haven't reached a point in your Christian life where you are willing to shed your blood in the war against evil, unquote. This is what it is is going to take. This is what it's all about. Nevertheless, we do not have the right to make war against people indiscriminately. This is all about Christian self-defense. But be ready. You have to be ready to fight. The rapturous will never be ready to fight because they assume they will be taken out of this tribulation and that is a false assumption which Colonel Moore is making abundantly clear in this document. Okay, so what will happen to you when Christ returns? Will he find you occupying? In modern day language, he was saying, Christian, you haven't reached the point in your Christian life where you are willing to shed your blood in the war against evil. This is what it is going to take. This is what it's all about. And, and that's what happened at the American Revolution. For those pastors who say they aren't concerned with communist takeover of America, that their task is to preach the gospel and God will handle communists, I'd like to remind them of the communists If the communists ever take over in America, their right to preach the gospel will be taken away, just as was for our brethren in Russia and China. Yeah, these false preachers. They won't be preaching anything anymore. What are you doing? Are you so self-satisfied that you will sit back and be further lulled to sleep by the preaching of a false doctrine when you should be preparing yourself for rulership in the kingdom of God under Jesus Christ the King? I hate to say it but i'm afraid that too many of our church members that is israelites should be classified as amateur christians they are not really very much interested in playing the game all out or getting involved they're spectators watching the game the founder of a very well known fundamental seminary once said quote to impose a need to surrender the life to god as on Oh, as one misprint here, it's probably as one added condition of salvation is most unreasonable. Unquote. What does that mean? Another well known Christian leader went even further and said, Quote, Once you say yes to Jesus, he is bound eternally by contract to save you. Really? You can commit every sin in the Bible plus all the others, and there is no hell waiting for you. This is Judeo Christianity, folks. This is an absolute stupid statement for any preacher to make, and someday God will hold them accountable for the Christians he has led astray. Man was made in the image of God, that is, Adamic man was made in the image of God, in knowledge, righteousness, holiness, and was to have dominion over the earth. Our standard of conduct cannot be man as he makes himself, but man as God made us man is being that according to their bible psalm 139:14 is fearfully and wonderfully made by yahweh we were created to rule the earth to have dominion over it, and to rule according to god's eternal law amen not accordingly not according to the traditions of men to diminish this responsibility and calling to reduce God's law to a few vague moral precepts that man wants to follow is to set a minimum of faithfulness, and this in itself is evil. The one thing we cannot afford to be as Christians is amateurs. Our calling is a total one. You're either all in or all out. If you are if you got one step out, you will still susceptible to temptation. We can give God, God nothing less than our all. There is nothing that points points up the weakness of our modern-day church more than the reduction of faith from God's supernatural act of saving us to an easy believism and casual disobedience. Well, we are in the age of Laodicea, the last age before the Judgment Day, the lukewarm church. The lukewarm church. You look around you, you see lukewarmness everywhere. And what did Yahshua say about the lukewarm? He said, I will vomit you out of my mouth. A famous man on his deathbed said when he asked to repent, God will forgive me. That is his business. Quote, (laughs) quote, unquote, we Protestants have been quick to condemn the sorry medieval doctrine of indulgences as practiced by the Roman church, but we have fashioned our own doctrine of indulgences. So we tell people, quote, accept Christ and you will be safe. If you sin, then he will forgive you. Yeah, he will automatically forgive you without repentance, right? That's what the antinomians teach. We have turned our salvation into a sort of fire insurance policy to keep us out of hell. That's one reason it has become so easy for us to accept the equally milquetoast doctrine of the rapture. I'm not so sure this is going to work. Christ himself said in Luke six forty six, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Then Matthew seven twenty one, Not every man that saith unto me Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Notice very carefully the qualifying word. But, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. I don't know many fundamental preachers who have the spiritual guts to preach this truth. Could it be that these who have turned their back on personal responsibility and who say and teach all that is necessary is to have faith and believe in God will take care of everything else, could these be the ones to whom our Lord was speaking in Luke 13 25 when he said, quote, And ye shall begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he shall answer and say unto them, I know not whence. Ye are, I know not who you are. Amateur Christianity, the kind that will rejoice in a rapture when millions of other Christians have suffered and died for Christ, is the modern form of Pharisaism, which Paul described in Second Timothy 3, five as having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. The road to hell is lined with such as these. Take your Bibles and then take a good, studied look at the road signs which warn Christians who will not take a stand for Christ. The Apostle John, in his first epistle 3 8, says, For this purpose, to combat Satan, the Son of God was manifested, that means made known, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whomsoever is born of God doth not commit sin. There are many scriptures which indicate. This reference to willful sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is of God, emphasis, added by Colonel Moore. So my fundamental rapture-minded friend, you can stand up in church and testify until you are blue in the face. You can knock on doors and bring people to Christ. But if your life shows that you do not follow his laws and believe that because you are saved, you can be like the devil, then according to the word of God, what you got is not salvation. Now, don't get mad at me. I didn't make this up. It's out of the book. You say you love and believe. Read the Bible road signs. They say, danger, detour, bridge out. Listen to them. Then get out and make a stand for Christ, your family, your country, and the white Christian civilization that has given you everything worthwhile that you have. Praise Yahweh for this wonderful article. Uh, I encourage all you listening to share it with everyone you know this is even though there's a lot of universalism and you know churchianity in there he uh, understands that uh, this this rapture business is it's a total delusion it's not happening we're in the tribulation everything that's coming down the pike which is going to include hunger Shortages of all necessities, including toilet paper <laughs> and, and medications. For those of you who are hooked on cigarettes, the stores won't have any. So, the stock up on cigarettes now. They might be worth more than gold when the, the person in withdrawal, nicotine withdrawal, comes to your door, shaking from nicotine withdrawal. And said, "Can I buy a cigarette from you? I need a fix." It's not going to be pretty. All addicted people are going to be facing withdrawal symptoms. Are you ready for that? You won't be able to go down to the corner grocery and get money from the cigarette or anything from the cigarette counter. <laughs> I was at a Walmart recently and uh, to get some, uh, uh, some supplements. It I can't remember exactly what it was, but uh, I went into the quick line, right? And it says 20 items or less. So I turned into the quick line, and here was a lady with her cart practically overflowing with shopping bags. And uh, and so she was actually just finishing up, so I didn't have to wait very long. And so I said to the clerk, hey, wait a minute. This this is, this is the quick line. That lady's uh, uh, cart was absolutely full of stuff, and she said to me, "Yeah, well, this is the only line where you can get cigarettes." <laughs> so she came here. Uh, but yeah, so but we're not supposed to say anything if somebody comes in the short line or the quick line loaded with stuff. We're not supposed to say anything. So just be forward. If you're really in a hurry, <laughs> the clerk is not going to say anything to you. All right. Okay, folks, thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. And if you're lucky, you won't be part of the rapture of the wicked. Thanks for listening. Take care. Yahweh bless everybody.